Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day, and I just thank you, Lord, that we're here again. I ask now that you would guide and direct as we look at your word and look at this gospel according to Luke. Lord, I pray that you would just to open our hearts to understanding what we need to from this text this morning. In your name I pray, amen. Um, every once in a while there's a, a passage of scripture that seems so easy and straightforward, I always, I'll have a hard time figuring out what, what I'm supposed to say about it. It just seems so direct, like this is what it is, there you go. And I found that sometimes when I get those sorts of passages and I get to work my way through it, sometimes it's not till the very last moment that I go, oh, wait a minute, I think I'm starting to get what this is about. I've also found that as I go to talk about those things, and so here I am, Sunday morning, we're talking about this passage, I find that I tend to take you guys along on the journey the way I experienced it and how I learned it. And so I, I hope that you see that as we get to the end of this passage today. Where I start off is not quite where I end up, and uh, I, think, I think you'll see that. I hope you'll see that. Um, we're in Luke chapter, 11, or Luke chapter 12, verse 35 is where we're going to be at. So if you want to get your Bibles out, if not, I've got it up here. I'll have it up here on the slides for you. Uh, starting with verse 35, we've just, we're right in the middle of some, some teachings of Jesus, and he's been talking to his disciples, and he makes this statement next, and we're going to unpack this. I'm going to tell you right now, the fullness of what he's talking about here, we won't get through all of the, the passage today. There's going to be more the next time we come back to Luke, and in fact, even the passage after that really has some things about this as well. So we're just kind of setting a stage for a thought process here, okay? Luke chapter 12, verse 35, he says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, uh, some of your versions, instead of saying dress for action, may say something different. Anybody have a different statement in your Bibles? What does it say? Yeah. Be dressed in readiness. Anybody else? Anybody have a King James Bible? What's it say? I think it has word like gird and loins. Right? Dress for action. Gird and loins. Now, it's been a while since I've shown this. If you've been at Edgewood for a long time, this comic I, sh I show you, you'll be familiar with. Um, if you've been here a little while, you've probably seen this one. Um, but from the art of manliness, how to gird up your loins. Okay, now I've been threatening for years that one of these days I'm going to wear a skirt and demonstrate. Uh, I usually have at least three people, one being my sister, going, no, please, don't do this. Um, one of these days, it's going to happen. In fact, today's that day. Let me go grab my skirt. No, no, no. Um, let me just very briefly go through this again, because remember I said where I end up is not where I start. And so when I was starting this, I was thinking about this whole idea. And so I think it's worthwhile just to think about when the Bible says, gird up your loins, it's kind of like us saying, roll up your sleeves, Okay. Uh, they were wearing those, right, the tunic, it wouldn't allow you to do heavy labor or anything like that. And so they would take that, and this is usually the part where my sister goes, no, please, you do not need to demonstrate this. Um, the hiking up of the skirt, um, pulling it through, usually at this point, my sister's really like, no, no, no. And, you know, pulling it through, grabbing it, oh, there we go, yeah, really tightening it up, tucking it into the belt, Right? so that you can be dressed and ready for action. 
So if you're ever reading the Bible and you hear them say, gird up your loins, this is what it's talking about. What were they doing when they were girding up their loins? They were, they, they were getting themselves ready so that they could jump into action. Hence, our text for today says, stay dressed for action. Okay? So the first thought, as you're thinking about it today, be dressed, ready for action. I think as well, the second thought that follows it, he says, and keep your, keep your lamps burning. Right? And some of you that grew up in Sunday school probably remember those keep the oil in my lamp keep it burning 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 you remember singing that right they, they the picture here that jesus is laying out is someone who even in the middle of the night not just ready for action but ready for action even if it's dark okay be ready for action is the statement stay dressed be ready for action so these two images he's going to combine he's going to put it into a little scenario and so let's look at verse 36 to get this scenario He says, be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So picture, if you will, this is outside of our scope of how things would be. I don't have servants at home waiting for me when I go off and do things, right? But they would have servants at home. And so the master of the house has gone to a wedding feast. The servants are there at home. This master of the house, he was going to be coming back. And in those days, a wedding feast might last multiple days. It would definitely last for hours. But the point is, be like these servants who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. And so the picture is of these servants who are waiting at the house. The master's gone off. Now, they don't have location sharing, right? They don't have uh, messages sending. They're not sending messages ahead. I'm on my way back. This is just a very basic concept of saying they're there at the house they know the master is going to be coming back, and they want to make sure when he comes and when he gets to the gate and he knocks on the door, they're going to be right there. They're going to have the lamp is already ready. There's going to be light. There's going to be maybe a snack. There's going to be something ready for them. He's welcome in, master. Here you are. We're glad you're back. Here we go. Let's, let's get you into the room. You just came back from a long journey. It's that mental picture that's being played out here. The use of this, there's a perfect participle here, which gives a sense of be the kind of person who never needs to be told to gird up your loins because they're always girded up. These guys are always ready. This is the type of servants that this master has. They're waiting by the window, right? So that when he gets there, they're not scrambling to get ready. And then Jesus offers up a beatitude in relation to this. Blessed, he says, or happy are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I tell you, to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Now, for us, that sounds like a wonderful little, what, what a great little meeting that happens here. But this would have been unheard of. Now, for those of you in this room that have been a Christian for a long time, this actually probably sounds very much like something Jesus would do, doesn't it? This sounds exactly like something Jesus would do. When he gets back from his trip and he sees his servants, he's so happy and so pleased with his servants that he says, no, 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 you guys sit down. I've got this. Right? Right? And then I picture him going, I even brought some wedding cake home. I've got some of this. I've got, right? There's things he's thinking about us. 
Jesus is so pleased about this. So, okay, so here I am. I'm working through the previous week and into this week preparing for this sermon, and I'm thinking about this picture. I'm thinking about this mental image, and I'm thinking, I mean, already it's just a great image, isn't it? Be ready. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. This is actually not a new concept for most of us. You don't know when he's coming back, so be ready for him so that when, you're, when he comes back, you're ready, and he's going to be so happy when you're ready that he's going he's to turn around and serve you. What a great mental image that is. You get to verse 38, throws that in there as well. If he comes in the second watch and the third, so even the latest parts of the night, way beyond any expectation of any servant to stay awake, and I know it feels that way for us. I don't think any of us knew how long it would be before he would come again. And it seems like it's taking a long, long time. The Jews had three watches of the night. And so the point of this is Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter how long it takes, happy are those servants, especially if he comes back in the third watch of the night. And he finds some waiting. This promise of Jesus' return is in nearly every New Testament book. In fact, one of my commentaries said more than 300 times in all is talked about Jesus coming again. Um, did Jesus come once already? Yeah. Isn't that what we're celebrating? Christmas, right? He came. Came as a baby. Paul last night referencing John's Christmas story, the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. This infinite God became flesh, came to this earth, lived a righteous life, died on a cross, crucified, blood was shed, put into a tomb, and came back again. After he came back, he ascended, the Bible says, ascended into heaven, and there were angels that were there as he ascended, and they said, they said to the disciples, Why are you, why are you watching? The same way that you see him go up, he's going to come again one day. So he leaves, and we're promised that he's going to come back again. That's what we're thinking about when we think about his first coming, is we're thinking about his second coming. I'd like to share just a few passages of Scripture with you, and I hope you're starting to feel that tension of, okay, where's he going with this? Okay? Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, that's his first coming, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I'd like to point out there's that waiting piece thrown in there. Do you see it? I started having a little bit of a tension as, a tension as I was studying this of what does it mean to be waiting I think there's a lot of versions of waiting for him to come back that I see all the time. You ever just get sick of everything and go, I wish he'd come back? There's a lot of that, isn't there, right now? I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of the whole mess. I'm sick and tired. Just come back. Fix it. I think that's part of it. I think there's something else there that I want to get to. We wait as if we're already there. We, at least we ought to. Philippians chapter 3 says our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, from our citizenship, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for this Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're stuck between these two events. 
his first coming and his second coming. In Titus, Paul puts it this way. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's happened. Training us, this first coming, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope. I think it was right about at this point that I started, there was a little thought that started to seep into my mind that I think we all kind of to one degree get the waiting for Jesus to come back. We get it to a degree. And so I was having trouble coming up with what am I going to say on Sunday because I think I could get up here and talk about this and everybody go, yeah, of course, we're waiting for him. Good. And we're ready. Come back, please, quickly. I think we all also kind of know that something about this waiting has to do with how we are living. The being ready for him, being awake and alert, has something to do with how we're living. And you see a glimpse of that in this, right? Let me go back to that last part. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This age of between, right? After his first, before his second, in the full consummation of all things. And so while we're in this, we're waiting, it says, for our blessed hope. The, what is that blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see some of that played out. Something about this being ready for him has to do with how we're living today. I think we all kind of get that to a degree. They themselves, let me go to one more passage, 1 Thessalonians, talking about Paul reporting on these, the Thessalonian people. It says, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. So there's this turning away of this, wait in eager anticipation, waiting for the son to return. The son that he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. But the second and final coming of Jesus would not be marked by glory for all. I want to go back to Luke because there's something, Jesus lays out that first story. Be ready, and blessed are the ones that are ready. But then he turns it around, he changes a couple things, and he plays out another scenario of what it looks like to not be ready. Listen to this, verse 39, going back to Luke chapter 12. A little bit of a different scenario. Know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Wait a minute. There's some things that changed in this scenario, is there not? Is there still somebody waiting? In the first scenario, who was waiting? Servants. In this scenario, who's waiting? The master of the house. In the first scenario, who's coming back? The master. In the second scenario, the one that we got now, who's coming? A thief. The result in the first is blessing and hope and feasting. The result in the second one, maybe we could describe as loss and regret. And so Jesus says, in case you're wondering, what, how is this the same scenario? This seems very different. He says, you also, 
must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, when I was a kid, I think that, in fact, when I was thinking about this, this, this really played out in my mind. Exact, I, know, I know exactly what this is like. I thought. Mom, mom, mom would leave me alone in the house. Now, there's a lot of things that you don't want mom to catch you doing when you come back. Right? When you're little, it's the hand in the cookie jar. For me, mom's out of the house. This is going to show my age a little bit. I wanted to watch some MTV. <laughs> mom did not allow MTV in the house. Some of you kids are going, what the heck is MTV? It's still a thing. Is it still a thing? Oh, good. Yeah. I want... And, and I'll tell you what, now, now here's the thing, and this is when it started making sense in my head, what, what these two stories are playing out something very different, and it wasn't what I thought it was, because I'm going to be honest with you, in the first scenario, I was like, those people were ready, and the second one, he's not ready, but, but I was thinking the readiness had something to do with being aware that somebody was coming. And so I, I got to thinking, you know, this is how a lot of us see this being ready for Jesus to come back is more like that. And actually, it might be a little bit more like the master of the house being worried about a thief coming back. There's a nervousness. Oh, I was ready for my mom to come back. Because I had one part of the blind open, I had ears that were tuned to the faintest scratching of tires on newly tarred and chipped Monterey Street. If there was a car coming down the road, I, would, I could make it from getting rid of MTV to folding the laundry, which is what I was supposed to be doing anyway, like that. I was ready. But let's be honest, I was not ready, was I? There's something very different in these two scenarios. Let's, let's play out the two sides for a minute. I made a table for you. On the one hand, Ready. In the first scenario, the servants were ready. The master of the house in the second one ends up not being ready. In the first scenario, they're waiting. In the second scenario, he's not waiting. He gets caught off guard. In the first, there's watching. In the second, I put, and this is where I really, my brain was thinking, wait a minute. There, there, there is still a watching, isn't there? In the master of the house, when he goes, man, I wish I would have known what hour the thief was coming because I would have, there was still a desire to be ready from that master of the house. But it wasn't just to be ready to welcome, it was to be ready to protect what's mine. And I think that as I was playing out of my head, I started to go, that's what it is. That's the difference between these two versions of readiness. 
There's some watching, but not exactly. There's some alertness on this side. There's being asleep on the other side. There's ready to serve upon arrival. The other side is not ready, but even if they were, what were they wanting to do is to defend mine and keep what I have. There's a longing for, and this is, gets, starts to get to the heart, at the real heart of what, when Jesus is talking about readiness, because I'm going to tell you, at the very end of the sermon today, Peter's going to ask a question that I'm not going to be able to get to today. At the very end of this, uh, the very last verse, I don't even have it up there, Peter said, looks at Jesus and said, is this for us or for everybody? Like, Peter gets, there's something, wait a minute, Jesus, what you're saying here, is this for us or all and trying to figure out because jesus like he does he doesn't just go oh it's for all he doesn't just answer that he he goes into another story but i want you to start thinking about because i think the answer to that question is yes is it for us for all yes i think that's what the answer is going to be yes (laughs) it's is it for us yes is it for all yes I found myself getting at the heart of and, and starting to verge into what this is really about. And I started, and, and I have to say, there's, there's things that weird things happen when you start to really dig into Scripture. It's Jesus tends to, I mean, there's that passage that says, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And so what I usually find happens, I find that I'm reading this text, and all of a sudden, Jesus will pull back some little layer of my own heart, and I'll go, oh, right? Oh, what's that in there? And I found that one of the differences between these two scenarios is one, there's the servants, there's a longing, anticipating. The Bible talks about it like hastening the day. On the other hand, there's a dread or a nervousness about the arrival of the thief and even seeing who he is. I mean, we have to admit that both these parables illustrate the same thing, the second coming of Christ. But in one group, these servants see the return as we're servants. He's master. We're so glad he's here. The other one says, I'm master. He's a thief. And when he comes, he's going to take away what I have. There's a heart at work. One is marked by blessing afterwards. One is marked by loss afterwards. One is followed by feasting. The other followed by regret. At the heart of one, there's a love for the master, a longing for his return, a thought that the best of things was coming. This isn't about me. This is not about my own. At the heart of the other, there's a love for the things that might be taken away. There's a longing for the delay for the sake of fill in the blank. A thought that there are some really good things now. I'm going to be really honest. I find this difference at work in me in a really awkward way. Some of you are going to relate to this. I can remember when I first became a Christian and I was first really loving God and I was like, man, I, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. 
And then I'm going to be honest with you. I, I can remember thinking to myself, I can't wait for he comes back. I hope he doesn't come back till after I'm married. Right? Or I hope he doesn't come back till after I've had a chance to have kids. Or I hope he doesn't come back to ha- until, I hope he doesn't come back till. and let's be, can we just be honest? <laughs> what was I saying in those moments? He- heaven's great, but he's going to take something away from me that's really good. Right? He's going to take something away from me that's really good. And he's a little bit like a thief. That God is a thief. And this harkens back to the very, very beginning. God has given all things to his creation. And Satan, dirty liar, Lies by just questioning the goodness of God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Is that what he questioning God? And the emphasis, notice the emphasis is on what he won't let you have. By the way, that is not how God professed this to Eve and Adam. He said, you can have all this. Just don't eat that one. And what does Satan do? He comes at it from that negative light. Does he not still do this to us today? You You ever had a time in your life where you felt like, okay, I know if I'm gonna follow after God, I'm gonna have to give up This, give up that. Now, some of those things we go, yeah, I want to give up those things. But let's be honest. For many of us, there's some things that when God calls us to give those things up, there's a tiny little bit of us that goes, but I really, really want that. And to have to give that up doesn't seem right. God, you're a thief. So I found, and I say it that way on purpose, I found. As I was digging through this, I found at work in my own heart that exact thing. And what I think this text is beginning to play out is that those who are ready, it's not as simple as just saying, because some of us, we say, I'm ready because I, I have this time, I, I, I've confessed my sin to Christ, I believe in him, I'm a there's, it's like a check mark, but the honest truth is that some of us, as much as we feel like we've checked that off, and okay, when he comes back, the honest truth is that we, we kind of look at, well, that's, heaven's better than having to go to hell, at least. And I'm really sad about all the things I have to miss out here. Do you see what I'm saying? That readiness and being ready isn't about checking it off 
just being awake, it's, there's something very, very different between these two. And one of them sees God's return as a joyous occasion. And anything that we might lose in this life isn't worth anything that he's bringing with him. Second Peter, because I think there is a caveat in here, if I may throw it in this way. I think many of us, there is one thing that we hope for his delay, and it's for the salvation of others, is it not? I don't want to overlook that. I think God has that exact same heart. Second Peter chapter 3, Peter's talking, he says, but, the same, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. We hear passages like this, and we, there's aspects we go, yes, I'm ready for him to do this. I know it's being saved up. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There's an aspect of God's very own heart that his delay is for things for people here to come to know who he is. But Peter himself says it as well, and I can't help but thinking that he was hearkening back to hearing Jesus say these exact words to him. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. All of these things are temporary things. All of the masters of all the houses will be robbed on that day by the thief in the night. The things that they love most will be pulled away from them. Some will be servants who the thing that they love most has come to them when Christ comes. Not that long ago, I spent a Sunday talking about the life of a missionary named Adoniram Judson. I don't know if anybody remembers me referring to him before, but uh, I'm not going to go back through everything that had to do with him, but throw a picture of him up there for a moment. Um, a lot of you know him from, there's, I think, a book called The Three Mrs. Judsons. Um, his first wife, had, when he went to the mission field, had passed away. It's an amazing story where he had this point where after she had died, he had buried her just outside of his hut. And it talks about him just sitting on her, her grave for days. He went through a very dark time after the death of that first wife. He ends up getting married again. The second wife also dies in the process of trying to get her back, sail her back for help. She dies on the way back. And one of his youngest children actually dies on the mission field. He left three, his three youngest on the mission field, and before he got back, one of them had died as well. He didn't descend into the depths of despair the way he did the other times. But I want to share this quote out of John Piper writes on this, this man's life, and I want to share this quote because there was a phrase in it that I have not been able to get out of my head. You ever have a book like you read and you get a phrase in your head and you're like, I just can't get rid of it? He put, the time, this time, Adoniram does not descend into the depths as before. He has his children, most of them. He did lose the one. But even more, his sufferings, and this is the, this is the sentence. But even more, his sufferings, 
have disengaged him from hoping for too much in this world. He was learning how to hate his life in this world. Now, some of you are like, that doesn't sound right. He was learning how to hate his life in this world without bitterness or depression. That's the key. Jesus himself says this, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Adoniram Judson, that phrase, let me read it again because that, that phrase I could not get out of my head and I think, I think that this is right at the very heart of those who are ready. It could only be described, I think, possibly as a, for lack of a better term, a hatred for this life. And I don't have a whole bunch of hope in this life. My hope is in all and something else. I've grown to love those words of uh, um, Hebrews when it talks about Abraham who did not get what he was promised but had his eyes where? On another country. I want to encourage you that whatever you've gone through in this life, whatever trial you face, whatever tragedy, so, so many people that go, I think that God has done this to do this and do this and this, but so many people, they have their hopes and their thoughts and everything just on the, in the next few years of this life. I would like to say that I think that maybe God is steering you in a path that says, this life, all my hopes, all my dreams, everything I long for is no longer here. It's all there. It's all there. This is hard for those who are young because it feels like there's so many things you want to experience. And I'm telling you, anything that God may take away from you in this life is not worth comparing to what he has offered for you there. That is not a consolation prize called heaven. I hope that maybe as we're listening to these things, we're thinking to ourselves, I thought I was ready. But Matt, as you're talking about this, I love this I found, and I, I, I told Cherry this this morning, I don't know how to express it, but I found that some of us, some of us long for Jesus' return, but frankly, if we get down to the heart of it, you really start talking about it, there's many people that go, yeah, I want Jesus to come back, but what you really want, you just wanted to fix this here. And I'm telling you, at some point, you have got to let go and say, God, that I'm, if I think that anything here is better than there or what you have or even just who you are. If there's one thing that I hold up as better than you, that's idolatry. And it's sin. And here's the most important thing. It's not true. He is the greatest of all things. You will not have anything in this life that could be taken away that Jesus is not exceedingly better than. From simple things like for me when I was young, I can't wait till I get married because let's, I'm not going to be graphic, but there was something I was looking forward to. 
Wesley's like, what is it, Dad? He'll tell you later. Uh, you, you, now, now, if you guys are old, you're like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but there ought to be a, a version of us that says, take, take the whole world, Lord. In fact, I want to encourage you to start praying things like, Lord, if there's something that I long and I have my, my little hooks in and I'm holding on to the, super tightly, Lord, if that's to keep me from seeing you for who you are. See, you're, you're the master coming back from the wedding feast that when you get here, this is, that's who Jesus is. He's the master. He's coming back. And I hope that you see it that way. But if you're sitting there today and you're going, there's a little baby that goes, when he shows up, he's going to take it away. I tell you, even those that you love, he's greater. Right? He's the greatest of all things. He is not a thief. It will come like that. There are some, and I would not be surprised if there are even some in this room today, that if he came today, that's what it would feel like. If that's the case, you are not ready. What do we do? Well, let me go back to Peter. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved... What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, I have one more quote I want to give to you right at the very end. This next quote is from a man named John Owen, a Puritan pastor. In the 1600s, he wrote this because I've, I, I think that this, what he says is going to be so relevant in helping you to know what do I do with these thoughts. He says, exhortations, promises, and don't miss this next word, and threatenings. There's some of those in the Bible, are there not? exhortations, promises, and threatening scripture do not tell us what we can do, but what we ought to do. They show us, and this is the important part, they show us our state of spiritual death and our inability to do any spiritual good. God is pleased to make these exhortations and promises the means by which we can receive spiritual life. In other words, as you hear those things, you may have found in a moment, just as we're laying out these scenarios, you may have found in a moment there where you thought, oh, Lord, that's me. I see you as a thief. Your spiritual state was opened up and revealed before God Almighty. What do you do with that information? It's not as much about what you say now. You go, okay, now I gotta, I gotta really, I gotta work really hard. I gotta. In fact, I was thinking about. Uh, we we're talking about today. What ought you to desire? You're talking about that in Sunday school. What it, and it's such, that's such a weird question. Like, how can you just make? I can't just make myself want something, can I? And I just make myself. How do I do that? 
It's the means of hearing these scriptures. They pierce you to the heart. And the way the Spirit of God works is right in that moment when you were sitting there and you thought, that is me. It's the same thing that happened to King David when Nathan the prophet pointed and he says, you're the man. This is you. In those moments when you hear that Spirit of God speaking into the depths of your being and saying, that's you, I urge you to just simply cry out to him and say, Lord, I cannot change this. Change me. Lord, help me not to love this life. Lord, bring me to a place. Help me to sever all ties. However scary that might be. For you, that's the first step of doing it right there. I mean, to pray that prayer, if you love this life, that is a scary prayer, is it not? If you love this life, for you to go, God, take whatever in this life is away from me so that I will love you most of all. That's, that's even hard to say. I would urge you to say it and do it. If there's something I'm clinging to more than you, Lord, remove it out of my life, please, God. I want to be like those servants that are ready and longing for your coming. I do not want to be like the one who said, oh, man, if I would have known, I would have been ready. In the end, many will say, we were ready. And they were looking forward to it. And when he appears, it will be glorious. Many will hear his coming, and it will be too late. And they will say, I wanted to be ready. I wished I would have been ready. If I would have been, I just could have been ready. And to them, Christ's return will be like a thief in the night. And they will suffer loss and experience regret for all of eternity. Don't let that be you. Heavenly Father, I just want to take a moment now as we close this time, Lord. We're just getting into this. I know that there's so much more because Peter wants to know, is this for us? Wait, are you saying this for us, for everybody else? Who's this for? Lord, I pray that as we begin just letting these ideas soak into our minds, I pray that you'd start that process of helping us to see if we're ready or if we're not. Do we think we're ready? Are we really ready? Are we longing for your return? God, I pray that your word would begin to have its glorious impact in our lives. I pray that your spirit would speak into each and every one of our internal beings where we're at and reveal, open up bare before the light now, not later, where our hearts are at. Lord, with all these things, Lord, we just trust you we thank you, Lord, that you came once. We do long for you to return. Lord, I pray that you would help us to begin preparing our minds, our hearts for that the way we ought to. Pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen.